All right, and just like that, we are back again with another episode of the Mind the Growth podcast. As always, I am Chris Kinghorn. And I'm Eric Hoffman. Eric, we are one day away from your birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday almost, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. It seems uneventful these days. <laughs> Anything a, that you want for your birthday? Maybe some uh, Bitcoin, or is there something yeah. a little bit more sentimental that we're, we're looking for? Just my two front teeth, or is that what we get for the holidays? I forget. That's that's going to be Christmas or, or gotcha. Monica. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, nothing in particular. It would be nice if the economy would pick up and uh, our investments would do what they're not doing in terms of making money. But, you know, you can only ask for so much. So just just happy and healthy. That's all I need. Right. <laughs> I like it. There we go. Maybe we'll get a rally eventually. Yeah, well. Uh, not according to the Bitcoin miners. I don't know if you've heard, but a lot of the largest mining companies in the world are on the brink of bankruptcy. Have you heard about this at all? Uh, slightly, but go ahead. Give me give me the tea. I know I just pulled up the Bitcoin price. It looks like we're so we're uh, November first, and yeah. Bitcoin price is about twenty thousand four hundred fifty five dollars. Yeah. So uh, can you see what I just pulled up here? Yes. So one of the, I think the biggest mining company maybe is uh, Core Scientific. It's a publicly traded company. Um, they are on the brink of bankruptcy. It looks like a lot of their creditors and bondholders are consulting with attorneys to see what their options are because they don't appear to be in good shape to make it. So one thing of note, Core Scientific in particular at I think their peak, they had, I want to say like 6,900 Bitcoin in their reserves. And currently they have 24 Bitcoin in their reserves. So how did it go from hundreds of millions in reserves to a couple hundred thousand? Well, the answer is the current hash rate to solve a block for Bitcoin is at the highest it's ever been meaning you need a lot of compute power and you need a lot of resources, energy specifically, to be able to mine Bitcoin today. The problem is not only do you need a lot of compute, energy prices are also very high for so many reasons we don't need to get into today. And Bitcoin is you know 55% down this year. So with all of those in mind, you lose money mining Bitcoin today. They're currently, you know, net negative. Every Bitcoin they mine is a loss. So something's got to break. On top of that, a lot of the mining equipment, there's some smaller miners that have already gone out of business because they just you can't run a business in the negative for so long. So uh, a lot of equipment has become available. Prices have gone way down because the supply went way up. Therefore, the demand's much lower. Prices go down. And so with that, it, it's just uh, a tornado of hell for the Bitcoin mining community. And it looks like a lot of them are going to go down and we're going to lose a lot of Bitcoin mining power in the U.S. as a result because power in other areas of the world has become cheaper. So I'm curious how this is going to affect just crypto as a whole, because obviously Bitcoin is the highest market cap coin out of any. And Ethereum, as everyone knows now, has shifted to a proof of stake mechanism versus a proof of work, which 
in turn, you know, again, the, all those Ethereum miners, they're offline now. So it's just an interesting situation we find ourselves in. And I am having difficulty predicting how it's going to play out. What are your thoughts? So one of the things, I guess, because I, I don't know too much about the Bitcoin mining topic, the, the one of my biggest curiosities would be, where are the majority of these individuals and uh, companies located? Because I remember seeing some, uh, a variety of them in, in Texas, some mm -hmm. in some of the colder states where, because Bitcoin, the miners, the, the, the machines themselves get extremely hot. So making sure that you've got some sort of source of cool air coming in is huge. With some of the publicly traded ones, where are they located at? Uh, I think you're right. A lot of them are in Texas. There are some that were in New York. Let's see, Georgia is becoming a much bigger state to to mine in. Um, I think, was it North Dakota? It might be North Dakota that became cri very crypto friendly early on. I'm sure, I think Delaware as well. I don't know the specific breakdown, but all of those states come to mind as primary and yeah, I, I don't know how it's going to play out. Uh, a lot of to... a lot of the bigger ones are publicly traded companies too, so they have that layer right. of complexity as well when they're <laughs> struggling to make ends meet. Yeah, I, I'd have to imagine that there's kind of a component of it's slightly an oxymoron in a sense because mining Bitcoin is not very eco-friendly, but I right. feel like the companies that can establish some sort of either hydropower or wind kind of turbine powered or even solar pa uh, powered or a combination of those efforts to mine Bitcoin, that could ultimately be the winner, really just trying to get your energy costs as low as possible. Now, building that infrastructure to do that is is not cheap. You've got the expenses up front. Obviously, you know, just trying to put some solar panels on the house isn't cheap. So I uh, <laughs> wouldn't imagine that having a solar field to try to power uh, Bitcoin mining machines would be uh, much cheaper. Another kind of thought that I had was, I don't, I don't know the statistics on this. You might have a better pulse on this. The companies, obviously, Ethereum is now proof of stake, so you know those miners are offline. But were some of these companies, some of the publicly traded companies that are struggling now, was there a combination of a Bitcoin mining effort as well as an, an Ethereum mining effort to try to litigate some kind of hedge a little bit of their of their exposure or risk by having two different assets? I, some of them, definitely. I think Core okay. Scientific was primarily Bitcoin. I could be wrong on that. But yeah, a, a lot of them would do both because they they already, I, I'm sure they're getting equipment at a discount because they're buying in bulk. And so right. why not, like you said, hedge your bets and you know go after not only Bitcoin and Ethereum, but other coins as well that have a proof of work mechanism because you already have the setup, the infrastructure and the ability to do it. So I, I think that was what a lot of them were doing. I don't know what the breakdown was, but there were a few of the bigger ones that I think are still primarily Bitcoin. Now, do we think that any of these individuals are going to or any of these companies are creating staking pools for Ethereum now, now that they're could that be a different play? Perhaps. Generate some income there? I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what what winds up happening. But I mean, they've a lot of them have sold most of their assets because they need to keep the lights on. So yeah, going, I'm not sure. 6,800 or what, yeah, what was the... 6,900, uh, 6, I believe it was. And then now they're down to 24. So 
even if they had Ethereum, they're probably in the same shape there. You can only, you know, put up a certain amount. I think you have to have at least 29 Ethereum or something to participate in the proof of stake mechanism. And then, you know, you're not getting that many rewards. So, uh, yeah, it's not not a good option, at least at the moment. But so it is not a good time to be mining either bitcoin or ethereum is what i'm hearing yeah i mean it's so interesting because you don't know what the future holds everyone i think expects it to come back and to to gain in price but how long will that take i could foresee there being somebody with deep pockets who starts to buy up some of these companies that are going through bankruptcy and you know spends pennies on the dollar to get their equipment, infrastructure, et cetera, and continue at a loss for an indefinite period of time with the potential of a huge gain if Bitcoin rallies and you know goes back up to new record highs. So I think that'll be one thing we'll probably see in the near future is just more of a liquidation sale for a lot of these bigger companies. And, you know, the the Havilene is just picking at their dead bodies, <laughs> but we'll we'll see. I think that's going to be pretty common with just about everything in the next six right. to eighteen months. <laughs> I mean, I had a handful of conversations even today. Uh, a few brokers out of Orange County, as well as Andrew, who we had on the on the podcast as well. And, and there's a lot of worry about some of these bridge loans and some of this debt that's been issued within the last call it six months to to two years, and how there's could be an opportunity to, to really start picking up some some debt for pretty cheap, um, really taking over people's positions that are just in a really bad spot in the in the next handful of months to a year, especially if things continue to get worse and worse. And people that either needed to refinance or were really hoping to push rents a little bit more that aren't able to achieve that from the real estate world, I think it's going to be a little bit scary. And same with you know just any sort of companies that didn't plan ahead. Uh, companies that were expecting revenue and, and growth to continue just an upward to the right trend. And as we're entering, if not, we're already, if we're, I think we're already in a recession, but uh, I think a lot of, a lot of companies are going to be in the same spot, whether it's real estate owner, small business owner, big business owner, whatever it might be. Right. And if you are a fan of the All In podcast, one of Friedberg's biggest concerns over the past 12 months or so, I think in the, holiday episode last year when they did the predictions, he predicted a consumer debt crisis where a lot of people are going to wind up finding themselves underwater with credit card debt, uh, refinance debt that they went into without you know understanding what's going to happen in the next 12 to 24 months. So yeah, I think we'll see some of that. I don't know how how extreme it will be. I saw some article maybe a few months ago that there's a lot less people that are underwater in terms of their mortgage who refinance than some people had led us to believe, but who the hell knows? <laughs> Only the, the creditors know. So we'll see. But one other thing that I forgot about until we just started talking about crypto, are you familiar with this uh, MakerDAO? It's, a, it's one of the original DAOs that came out. I don't think so. So MakerDAO, it, I think the emphasis, let me just make sure I'm getting this right because I want to be accurate. It created a stable coin and it, it generated the, the coin DAI, 
DAI. And um, it it's basically an ecosystem of developers and crypto aficionados. But it's at, at its heart a, a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization. So I just saw someone I follow on Twitter tweet about one of the co-founders of this MakerDAO. It's big. I, I think they have like, or at some point they had hundreds of millions in their in their reserves, but I don't know what that looks like today. Um, I'll share this real quick. So yeah. the co-founder of the DAO apparently lives in Puerto Rico, and he tweeted on October 28th, CIA and Mossad and the pedo elite are running some kind of sex trafficking entrapment blackmail ring out of Puerto Rico and the Caribbean islands. They're going to frame me with a laptop planted by my ex-girlfriend who was a spy. They will torture me to death. A day later, he was found dead. (laughs) So I always am curious about these types of things because it this a similar thing happened to John McAfee, if you remember, like a year ago. Um, cause he was, he was involved in a lot of shady stuff, but I always am curious. It seems like if you're not super into conspiracy theories that this is probably just somebody who's mentally unstable, maybe he got involved with the wrong people or I don't know. I don't know what happened, but he's dead and he predicted his death. So coincidence, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I just I have this I, I have this uh, struggle with because I, I know quite a few people who have raised hundreds of millions of dollars into private equity funds, but mm-hmm. I have a struggle with creating a an ecosystem where you have potentially no idea who's participating in a sense. And all of a sudden you have hundreds of millions of dollars that are there. Though I I love the idea of a DAO. I think it's incredible, especially people voting on kind of what is done with things and everyone having you know a sense of a voice. Um, I think if you have the right thesis and if you have the right people behind it, it can be something that's great. But there's something that's just a little bit off to me. If you've got hundreds of millions of dollars and you have no, oh, really no idea kind of who's participating in. How did yeah. this really get here? Is is it was it the government really trying one government trying to plant something? So I know that I know that's not just associated directly with the Dow, but anyone who is and there's a reason why he lives in Puerto Rico and not in the States, too. It's probably because of taxes or it's more sure. crypto friendly, et cetera. But yeah, I just think if you put yourself in that situation, it's probably not going to be a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a very ignorant. Bad, yeah, you're going to have a bad time. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I haven't spent a lot of time in that in that world. So I don't uh, it could be totally off my rocker here and, and way off, but it's just something doesn't sit fully right with me there. But yeah, that's um that's a yeah. maybe they they're going to make a doc out of it, I guarantee you. They they did the John McAfee did well, I guess he kind of did his own. Right. He was way They off did one for uh one of the one of the founders of that Canadian exchange, I forget the name of it. The, the Netflix released a documentary on that, I think like 6 months ago. I haven't seen it, but I heard it was good. So, yeah, you're probably right. But I will take a slightly contrarian view. I think DAOs are useless. I think companies at their core should be dictatorships, not democracies. And <laughs> if there's not one person that can make a final decision on something, nothing innovative is going to get done. So, yeah, I, I think DAOs will 
maybe replace nonprofits because that could I was going to say nonprofits. Yep. A better mechanism than just donating to a nonprofit where incentives may not be aligned for the better good. But yeah, when you have a group of anonymous people voting on certain things, it's going to take forever to do anything. <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't like them for that reason. But that's besides the point. Last but not least in the crypto world, crypto news, Twitter was taken over by Elon Musk this week, and he's toyed around with the idea of having payments run through Twitter using Dogecoin as the mechanism. Uh, don't know how that's going to play out, but Doge, I think, is Didn't up 100%. Yeah, I was going to say a double. Like two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So... I mean, those Doge speculators are making some money right now, but it's okay. It's be honest, do you own any Doge? I do not. <laughs> okay. I rode that. I rode that train one time, which was actually no, that's a lie. I did it twice. <laughs> so I bought some. Do you remember when Elon Musk hosted Is SNL? SNL, yeah. So before that, maybe a week prior there was a lead up and a huge influx of people buying Doge. So at the time I went on Robinhood because that was the only place that that I could figure out where to buy it because it wasn't at the time on most of the major crypto exchanges. So I, I bought some on Robinhood, similar to the whole um, AMC and uh, GameStop uh, rallies that occurred the year prior i bought right. you know a, a decent chunk and wrote it up for like six hours sold it made made a little money and then i bought some more right before snl aired because everyone was talking about how elon was gonna you know push it on his monologue or whatever it was gonna be didn't and, it tank yeah it tanked <laughs> so <laughs> i I held it, I think, through the night and it kind of leveled out. I lost probably 30% on that portion of uh, investment that I made. So I guess I wound up Speculation, even overall. Investment. Yeah, yeah, totally. It was, it was terrible. So I haven't touched it ever since. But yeah, I, I think it's probably not going to be Doge if they wind up doing payments through Twitter. It's probably going to be ethereum or if jack had his way it would be bitcoin. the lightning lightning network for bitcoin which is another thing that i guess we can talk about now that all well, of this did is coming jack up. also roll i think jack rolled in like his ownership he saved elon a billion dollars by rolling in his equity stake into chris i have uh, his no idea private i believe that sounds that probably right so Right when Elon took over, Jack released a an update on his one of his projects he's working on through Block, which is essentially Square, what used right. to be known as Square. Let me share this real quick. So it's called Zion, and it it's Jack's version of Web Five, as he's talked about. Well, so from my understanding, he's creating kind of like a decentralized social network with this Zion that is doing a lot of what Elon Musk is trying to change Twitter into. So 
it's basically a decentralized network where you have your own identity protected by, you know, seed phrase or passcode, and you have control of your data. You can run payments through it. You can, you know, store data. You can, it's using the Bitcoin Lightning Network, as you see here, for payments, which is why it made me think of it. But the way that I've heard it described is it's going to be more of a social network on the blockchain where no company holds your data. You, you always control it. You have control of your identity. Um, one of the things that he shared was that his goal is to be able to give you essentially the keys to your social identity, where if you wanted to transfer, let's say from Instagram to another social network, you should be able to take your followers, your content, et cetera, and seamlessly transfer it. He's trying to enable that. I don't know if it will happen, but apparently with this version two of Zion, he's made a dent. So I thought that was interesting. We'll see how it plays out. I'll keep an eye on it and we'll try and update all you listeners. Yeah. Think of how convenient that would be just being able to take everything from one platform and just kind of bring it wherever you need to go. Exactly. I mean, that would be ideal. But advertisers won't like it. <laughs> so no. we'll see how that model plays out monetarily. Well, then speaking of advertisers too, Elon had mentioned that he was he's obviously open to the idea of advertising on Twitter. Did you see what they're that they're talking about bringing back Vine? Yeah, which would be genius. I I think they should have done it as soon as TikTok hit I know. You know, the the, the mainstream because it was the precursor to TikTok. And I think that's if you what, haven't yet. Go check out our Vine channel. Yeah, we're going to have to secure it quick. But yeah, I think it would be a, a great idea. And we'll I'm guessing that'll happen in the near future. He seems to be moving fast and uh, firing some people, firing fake fake people. The news can't seem to get it right, but <laughs> we'll see. All right. Next up. What do we got? You tell me. You wanted to talk about some favorite restaurants, right? Oh, that's right. We're talking about favorite restaurants. Okay. So we've been on a food kick. Some of us were lucky enough to go to a uh, French laundry. That was obviously not me. So, and uh, if you haven't yet, make <laughs> you sure weren't you go in the listen to the, uh, the podcast. Yeah. I was holding the camera. Gotcha. Gotcha. Or waiting your table or cleaning up after you one of the one of the three. I don't I don't remember exactly which one it was. Yeah. Um so let's continue with food because there is for those of you who are not from Arizona, there's quite a few good restaurants here locally, whether it's high end, whether it's, you know, medium end or even low end. One of my favorite restaurants is Los Taquitos. Um, oh, Mexican God. food chain that's throughout <laughs> Arizona. It's, it's it's absolutely incredible. If you've gone to ASU, you'll know how greasy and disgusting <laughs> the food is at 2 a.m. No, that's, no, you're thinking Los Faves, Los Favoritos. Oh, yeah. Isn't it all the same owner? No, Los Taquitos is different. Los Taquitos is on Elliott and 48th <laughs> Street. That was the original one. They have one on Indian School and 32nd Street in Arcadia. Okay. They've got a handful of others as well, too. They've got one in the airport. It's damn good. If you haven't, Lo siento, lo siento. <laughs> all right, so let's do this. Let's do um, three tiers. We'll do... High-end fine dining, mm -hmm. high-end kind of business cash, and then we'll do medium. So your favorite high-end fine dining in Arizona. So I would say that where I had 
the best experience would be Kai, K-A-I. Have you ever heard of it? I have not, no. So at the Sheraton Wild Horse Pass uh, Resort, there's a restaurant called Kai. It, it's been there for quite a while. I can't remember how much, but um, the the reason it's so unique is it's a very fine dining restaurant that features a lot of indigenous ingredients to Arizona, which I think if you're an Arizona restaurant, that's an awesome thing to do, but they do, they just do a great job. So I went there, I want to say maybe like 2014, 13, 14 for my birthday. That was the one and only time I went and it was fantastic. Everything I had was really good, really well done. The the food was prepared well. I had, I think, a bison dish that was not too gamey because a lot of a lot of game meats can be kind of that uh, chewy, gamey texture and flavor. It wasn't. It was, you know, very delicate and just uh, it had a really high depth of flavor. So I would say that's probably my winner for fine dining. It was really between Kai and Christopher's. Christopher's you would normally think of as the pinnacle of fine dining in Arizona because it's a, I think, 14 course or high, a high number course French restaurant. So that would be my pick. What about you? So I'm going to have to shout it back to our first shout shout out back to our first uh, our first episode we ever did Cafe Monarch. Okay. That that would have probably been third, but my last experience there didn't necessarily leave me wanting more. <laughs> okay, all right. We'll have to we'll have to see if we can file a complaint. Well, Ben is actually no longer with Monarch. Nope, he's nope. moved he's... on to greener pastures in in the Caribbean, and I think eventually in New York or something. That's what you, I heard you, as well too. Yeah, so we'll see what he does. But uh, best of luck to him. Last time I was there, he he had left early or something when we went. So Rana and I went for our anniversary back in February, and mm -hmm. it we couldn't get a reservation before eight p.m. at the time. So that was already way too late for us because <laughs> we're uh, usually to bed by ten. So it was. The lateness, we didn't get seated for 30 minutes, even though we had a reservation. So we didn't sit till 8.30. Food took forever. Uh, our buddy, Wissam, who, or Wissam, who uh, was the Sam at the time, he he was running around. It was super busy. He We couldn't talk to him for another 45 minutes to get a wine order in. It was just that type of customer service. And then the food was good it just wasn't great good not great so are right, you what when you say when you say good not great <laughs> so for those of you who haven't seen our our most recent comments there's a there's actually we're getting some more hate which is amazing and i love it when when, when eric went to french laundry uh, a few weeks back um he filmed an episode and and we released it and somebody was absolutely just bashing on uh eric my saying, description uh, yeah. Delicious. Amazing. Incredible. Excellent. Perfect. <laughs> so Dr. Tang, we appreciate you. We appreciate your feedback. And Eric obviously isn't listening because he keeps saying good, good. Yeah. Okay, great. Love it. Good. 
yeah i'll work on it we'll see but uh keep the the hate coming a high-end business casual you start on this one ocean 44 you think so it's so funny i i also had a bad experience like a month ago there jeez how about steak 44 okay so for those of you who do not know there's a concept called mastros mastros is in a handful of different states the individuals, the group that owned Mastro's, they sold, they ended up after their non-compete, they started a, um, a restaurant called Dominic's, and then they proceeded to start Steak 44 and then Ocean 44. So they're all kind of sister companies. Interconnected. But Ocean 44, interconnected. Ocean 44 is more of a spin on ocean food. Steak is a little bit more of a high-end, um, modern, but still they're uh, classic almost- style, if you will, steakhouse. Almost identical menus. There's just like three extra fish courses at or Ocean Forty Four, and a few unique pieces of steak at Steak Forty Four. But I'm gonna all in all, they're about the same. Bad experience at Ocean Forty Four because <laughs> I love it. I've I've normally had great experiences, and I would typically agree. Hopefully, they were just off that night. But um, I think we got a sea bass, which was like super rubbery, and it just wasn't what I would have expected as their, you know, level of product. And they're like the, we ordered truffle fries. At first they came out, they didn't have any truffle like flavor whatsoever. So we sent them back, which I don't typically like to do, but I did it. And they bring back another set that was like fried to a crisp, like inedible. It was awful. And just stuff like that. It just annoyed me. <laughs> so uh, I, I guess I'm easily annoyed with those types of things. So steak or Ocean 44 for you. What would my... Oh, I actually oh, prefer easy. Mastro's because I yeah. think it's better and the price point's better. But I'm go- I already said Ocean 44. Yeah. So um, my, my mine would be easy. It's Roca Accor. So Japanese Steakhouse in Scottsdale. Excellent food. I, I know some of the servers there, so it's probably cheating because I get good service when I go, but they've done a great job. The owner for a long time was a, a founder of a pharmaceutical company who wound up going to jail for a lot of the pain medication fraud stuff that was going on. Oh, the opioid. Yeah. So he was made an example of, but at the time when he was making billions of dollars he opened this roca core in scottsdale that was the first location and what he basically wanted to do was he said i love japanese food i want good japanese food here price is not an object get the best ingredients you can possibly get your hands on cook it in the best way possible i will build this restaurant to be you know as luxurious as you need it and that's what he did i think they lost money for like seven years before starting to turn a profit. Then they opened a bunch of other restaurants, Chicago, uh, San Francisco, a a few other cities. But that's my pick for that. Casual, go. Um, And how casual are we talking? Um, Not fast casual, still sit down, but you know, you could wear uh, (laughs) flip-flops. Okay, I'm going with, I'm gonna gonna throw three out there. Okay. Glybon. Because Glybon's amazing. Mm-hmm. Chelsea's Kitchen. Okay. And then Ingo's. Okay. 
three completely different style restaurants. Yeah, two out of the LGO group. So I'm going to follow that trend. Mine, oh, would, shoot. Yeah, mine would probably be, so we frequent, I mean, I would say, uh, I would throw Vicina in that category. And Vicina is probably my pick. That's what we would yeah, choose is, over yeah, the others. It's definitely one of my favorites. But a close yeah. second would be Buck and Rider, which is an LGO restaurant. Chelsea's Kitchen's up there. Um, I like yeah, your pick so far. <laughs> Glybon's a good one. But what overtook Glybon for me was uh, a new Thai restaurant in downtown Phoenix called Lam Wong. Have you been there yet? I haven't. Oh, you got to go. So another... Okay great spot originally they started as a like newsletter only business where they would send out a menu for the week tell people you can pay us x amount of dollars for this three course meal and we'll deliver it to you that was they started in the pandemic they got so big it would sell out in like minutes so they wound up opening a brick and mortar in downtown phoenix and we've gone a couple of times it's been great both times just, I'd say more unique than Glybon. Glybon's great, but they have more options and more unique options from a Thai food perspective. Have you been to, I believe it's called Belly Kitchen on Camelback and yeah. 7th Avenue? It's okay. Not my the favorite. The two-story one? Yeah. Mm -hmm. we, we went not too long ago. Um, Hannah really liked it. I was kind of indifferent about it, but I was curious. Yeah. It's not too far from the other one you just mentioned. Yeah. So funny story, and then we'll wrap up. That group that opened belly the the main guy i forget his name but he started welcome diner in downtown phoenix and welcome diner then opened uh welcome chicken and donuts which was my favorite donut i've ever had and their chicken was incredible so rest in peace welcome chicken and donuts but i think he opened it with his wife or girlfriend at the time they had a falling out he left the group and then he started this other culinary group with his friends to open belly and i think they're opening one or two other restaurants in the near future so we'll see and then if we're if we're going down that 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 type of cuisine we can't uh can't forget clever koi yeah oldie but a goodie classic oldie but a goodie <laughs> awesome well bitcoin mining not in a great spot but at least we've got a lot of good restaurants yeah so you, you always need to eat <laughs> Always need to eat. Well, we are signing off. If you haven't already, go check out some of our old videos. Leave us some comments below. We're finally starting to get some good and bad ones, so we'll take them. You know, we prefer the good, but you know, we'll put up we'll with take some. The bad. Uh, yeah, we'll take it. Like, awesome. subscribe, well, thanks, guys. follow, tell your friends, tell your mothers. We love you. <laughs> Bye. We're out.